Welcome, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGN+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm your host, Tom Hush, and joining me, as always, is my beautiful co-host, Connor Cornelius, vibrant as ever. Hi, I'm Tom, uh, Connor. Glad to be back. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> It's been a rough morning. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. I know. I tend to do that to people. I really flatter them to the point of uh, delirium. I know. The listeners, they can only hear your voice, but having to listen and see it's... It's, and getting complimented at the same time, it's a task. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Absolutely. Uh, for this episode of No Coast, we decided that we need to bring back one of our favorite guests. His name is John Davies. He is the creator, operator, and mastermind behind Cinema Obscura, which is uh, an event, a screening event that goes on every single Monday at Township. Uh, And he's showing off the best of Chicago cinema, some of the weirdest, best craziest original filmmaking most original filmmaking that's happening and uh he's doing it every week and we admire him so much for it welcome back to the program john davies oh thank you guys for having me again this is amazing oh we are so so happy we i mean we can't talk enough about cinema obscura and it seems like every time we meet someone new on the show we're like do you know john davies yeah of course course you know john John davies Davies. that's amazing Yeah. yeah seriously uh how is how is cinema obscura going by the way it's going very well very very well we were booked through the end of August. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. Two weeks off, then we're coming back, and we're booked to the end of October. And then i got to start thinking about the rest of the year. So we're looking pretty good. That is strong. Nice. Yeah. That is strong. And it's got to yeah. be a good feeling to know that you've got all this programming coming forward, and you can just focus on the promotion yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we're gonna fun. we're definitely going to check in with you later and see what's coming up, what's on that schedule for Cinema Obscura. But uh, for right now... Um, we do, we do got to do our, uh, our news segment. Yes. And, uh, not the news segment, the news, the news segment. segment. It's coming soon here on no coast cinema right now. Yeah. 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 The news, the news, ah, news, the news, <laughs> news coming soon, coming soon to a theater near you. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Gonna talk about what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? And that is our theme for the news segment. Uh, recorded last week <laughs> with Nate Waters. Completely improvisation. Yes. Your complete improvisation. Yeah, we're super proud of that one. Um, I can't believe it. I like it. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what we're going to start off with here is a little film, an indie film. Yeah, uh, by uh, a little known Chris. Yeah, his name's Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, he's British. Mm-hmm. He is white. And he has blonde hair. Um, he did some smaller films. Some sort the of dark, auteur film yeah, work. Uh, a crime movie called The Dark Knight, I think. Yeah. It's about like a guy that runs around dressed up as a vulture or something. Yeah. <laughs> Noir classic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But all, uh, all irony and postmodernism aside, uh, we're talking about Dunkirk, directed by Chris Nolan. Uh, just came out. And it's been doing. It's been getting great reviews. People are really loving it. Uh, we can only assume that's going to be up for some sort of awards when it comes awards time. Uh, considered one of the one of the best of his filmography. However, um, it's not without a problem, and that has to do with representation and uh, diversity. And before you get on us calling us snowflakes, PC police, this is about historical accuracy right here. 
So there has been some debate in India over the film. Now, the film is getting great reception in India. Near unanimous critical acclaim. Exactly. All around the world, especially in India. However, they do have a bone to pick with the representation of uh, Indian soldiers at Dunkirk, or rather the lack thereof. Um, They are complaining that... At the time, in, at, at the Battle of Dunkirk, there were lots of Indian soldiers who were fighting on behalf of the, of the British Empire. Uh, according to India Today, they, uh, they pointed out that about 1,800 Indian soldiers were tasked with transporting 2,000 mules carrying arms and ammunition to the war zone in France. Now, that is a pretty serious number of people to be at the Battle of Dunkirk. And to be noticeably absent from the film entirely. Absolutely. And I think this is an interesting um, point about uh, historic, not just representation, which is important. We've talked about that many times on the show, but also historical accuracy in favor of a particular narrative. Um, John, how, how do you, when you hear this, have you seen Dunkirk? I have not seen it yet. Not seen it yet. Um, and I myself have not seen it up to this point. Because um, we're, we're waiting for the 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. We really want to see it in 70 millimeter. We're going to wait for that. But that aside, um, when you hear something like this coming out of uh coming out of a big movie like what are your thoughts you know why can't we get historical representation right i think it's filming and writing from unfortunately a white perspective you know we just leave things out important things way too often and that's kind of disheartening you know i know i I don't think christopher nolan did it on purpose no i don't think so either he's he doesn't strike me as uh as a malicious guy no but he talked all this game about oh i did all this research on the battle of dunkirk Mm -hmm. you know i know everything about dunkirk i'm gonna make this movie it's gonna be my you know my war epic and he just kind of glosses over the details in in favor of a white narrative. I've been reading a lot of reviews about it, and they're all saying, amidst all of the you know compliments and stuff towards Nolan, they say that he sort of got swept away by by the story. And a lot of the angles of these articles are saying that in a positive light. But for a guy that, like you said, John, if he's writing it just from a white perspective, he got swept away by a a maybe like a singular sort of a remote viewpoint of the of the story of how it actually happened Mm -hmm. and i think something to be said is uh the story of dunkirk to us here in the states maybe not a lot of people know it and people or people know of it and they're just like oh this is you know a historical event something that happened uh at the outbreak of world war ii but in the united kingdom and uh you know just the british empire in general the the Battle of Dunkirk is really a defining moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost, and you know, you can grill me for this if you want. I'd be uh, willing to compare it to something like D-Day in terms of its like mythology of the way that people talk about what happened on that day mm-hmm. and um, how important it was in retrospect. You know, at the time, this is a more or less a defeat of sorts. It's a retreat. It's an evacuation. They need to go. Um, Luckily, they saved hundreds of thousands of lives, and it's a success in that sense. But at the time, um, it was it was only that it was an evacuation. But looking back at it, it, it more or less saved the allies. You know, that could have been the that could have really spelled a pretty, um, pretty big trouble for the allies during World War Two. And Dunkirk is a critical moment in that in that World War Two narrative. Yeah. But as we're talking about narratives, it is that white narrative. You know, um, when you watch Saving Private Ryan, 
Um, I don't really remember any black soldiers. Well, yeah. I, I mean, don't really remember a lot of black soldiers. Tom in, Hanks and Matt Damon. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not, not that there's anything wrong with having those people be in the movie. Having white people in a movie is not, like, a sin. But let's be honest with ourselves here. You know, you can you can't just go from the white narrative Mm -hmm. and that's something that continues to happen again i don't think maliciously no uh but it's still ignorance and ignorance doesn't necessarily need to be tolerated especially in big movies like dunkirk yeah for a movie that's being lauded for the things that it the strength of the things that it does show people as well as the things that it doesn't show winston churchill is noticeably absent for it for a battle that uh, he was very vocal about and he is remembered in his legacy for having spun it around to be sort of like a moral victory for england at the time but Obviously, we need to be also critical about the things that he left out seemingly unintentionally. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on, we're getting a story here from uh, Variety, fantastic publication that we use for a lot of stories. Thank you, Variety. Uh, thanks, Variety. We didn't really ask. We just simply took. <laughs> um, but we will credit you here because that is the right thing to do. Uh, according to Variety, Lionsgate CEO John Feltheimer has gotten his compensation uh, bumped up a little bit, uh, yeah. about if you triple. Didn't think, <laughs> if you didn't think he was making enough, yeah, he definitely is now. Yes. Uh, his compensation package has been tripled to $35.3 million. Mm. That is That's cool. more money than I've ever even thought of in, in my entire life. Uh, that includes a $1.5 million salary, $5.4 million in stock awards, $16.3 million in option awards, $12 million in non-equity incentives, Incentives and uh, about 150000 in other compensation. God knows what that is. Um, wh- and then didn't just another one of his teammates, they also doubled They doubled their, it, their right. salary as well. And what is the reason for this? Is this because of their acquisition of stars? Um, he, that- he agreed to, so he announced in October that uh, he agreed to a five-year extension of his contract, and that was two months before Lionsgate's $4.4 billion acquisition of premium cable, uh, cable network starts. Right. And so um, I guess they're just provisions of the deal that he made, you know, a $5 million bonus if Lionsgate met performance goals within um, three months of... Uh, achieve it's at this point it just devolves into numbers right and um which is important in this story uh you know it's numbers is a big thing in hollywood as we all know um there's a lot of money let us not pretend and i think john you even said this last time you were here that it's an industry it's mm-hmm. a business Absolutely. there it is it there is, is a capital- bottom line yeah mm-hmm. there's a bottom line and it is capitalism at its most uh awesome in its in its in its uh splendor splendor i guess i (laughs) I I hesitate to use splendor because it is also in its spectacle yeah yeah in its spectacle it's american Uh, splendor exactly the amount of money being thrown around and uh just to let you know this figure was disclosed as part of the uh, the company's proxy statement which was filed on friday with the sec and um what i want to know is how and why are these CEOs getting doled out these massive paychecks? 
because is it really the amount of money that's being brought in? Because we know that theater attendance is down. We know that the industry is not making nearly as much money as they want to be making, especially with the price tags of these franchises, of these massive movies that they are just pushing. They're pushing all their chips in mm-hmm. on. How are these still getting these massive payouts? I think the the reason behind I, I don't know why his salary was tripled, but I think that they said with, along with this acquisition of stars in an industry that is sort of shrinking a little bit, they doubled their business mm-hmm. over the last year. So obviously, it makes sense that he would be making more money and that the people around him would be getting that as well. But mm-hmm. it definitely seems exorbitant that his already you know already what was it 12 million dollars yeah his salary his base salary is 1.5 million dollars and then they just pile on the uh stock options stock awards other compens non-equity incentives which dear listeners i will disclose to you i have no idea what the hell that is (laughs) but it's clearly income for him um john you you're you're coming from cinema from a very grassroots point of view mm-hmm. and a, a point of view that I think here at No Coast we believe in. And um, what it, how does it make you feel to see these companies just writing bigger paychecks to these guys? I think it's fairly insane, especially in the movie market these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking at a lot of remakes coming out, a lot of stuff that's been written, and the story's been out there for, say, 40 years already. And to pay somebody this much to get these remakes remade and remade and remade is insane to me there's not a lot of new material out there so where where is this coming from it's it's mind-blowing yeah what's the value you know Mm -hmm. where and and again where is the money coming i mean there's plenty of investment and especially as you mentioned connor with the acquisition of stars that's that's big business because the home media market especially with stars has their own streaming service a la you know showtime hbo go um they have all that going on uh stars has their own service they recently had a pretty big critical hit with american gods Mm -hmm. um and they also have ash versus evil dead which is you know tapping into all of our collective cult Mm -hmm. nostalgia uh which i've never actually seen the show i i don't know if it's any good but they've got bruce campbell back yeah a little bit of it i've seen and it's it's good good it's good it's also well, spawned a bunch of like look-alike series i guess yeah mm-hmm. like stan versus stan evil versus evil starring yeah. uh dr cox from <laughs> yeah. what yeah that's the show i watched that's yeah a, oh i didn't watch gosh. it i watched an, an episode but an episode anyway. mm-hmm. um so i guess they he needs maybe if this was his idea it should be rewarded for being smart enough to get into that market but at the same time 35 million dollars you know, why can't you invest that in some mid-budget films yeah. that could do really well? You know, Lionsgate, they're not they are not like the biggest studio in the world, but they make a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. They do well for themselves mm-hmm. um, all across the market. Whether it's horror, they do drama, they do comedy, they do everything. So why not just take some money and invest in smaller films that can yield a bigger reward? Um We've seen a lot of films as of late uh, that have those kind of mid-budget, especially stuff from like Blumhouse, you know, doing horror, those mid-budget films that can show massive returns. So just from the perspective of an executive, 
you know, I would. What? What did? What does someone even do with thirty-five it's million dollars? Oh, they just piss it away. Hopefully not. <sighs> God. If he's just going to use it to reinvest in the rebooting of the Hunger Games franchise, <laughs> oh, fine. <laughs> Already, fine. That's that's what we're looking at right now. I need it. Reboot this. Reboot that. Yeah, reboot. Oh, you know, don't gosh. write anything new. Just God forbid. Yeah, because even if it's like a fifty million dollar budget, you're still going to make you know one hundred fifty million internationally, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Why not? It's just a safe investment. Now, speaking of streaming, uh, Connor brought me this story because he is the king of finding internet. He's really tapped into international cinema and international cinema business. And he brought me this story. And I love this. Connor, give me a little primer. So if you guys got your globes out, you want to go to the little island nation, Japan, uh, Japanese e-commerce giant called Rakuten. Uh, they recently rebranded their streaming service, which is called Wuwaki, which is uh, up until this point, has typically been a rental and purchased-based service. Uh, but now they have setting their sights on taking on the titans of streaming like Netflix and Amazon through the creation of their own original television shows and uh, movies. And right. for people unfamiliar with Rakuten, probably haven't heard of it that much in the U.S., uh, it is only really available in uh, 12 European countries as well as Japan. Uh, but they're starting to engage in more international markets, obviously, through this next step. Um, they're definitely taking a couple of plays from the big streaming, you know, people's, uh, the big streaming companies' playbooks. They're trying to uh, engage TV and film producers with kind of a limited distribution reach and giving them access to this baker's dozen of international markets that they have access to. Um, and it was interesting, the CEO and founder of uh, of Rakuten, Jacinto Roca, said that uh, when he was asked about the kind of content that people can expect to see, they kept it vague, but said that their focus is on independent mass market films that focus on stories that matter in order to create a platform for movie producers with that limited distribution. Mm -hmm. And obviously, they've got a long road ahead of them, but if Netflix and Amazon uh, are any indication of how successful something like that can be, especially since Rakuten intends to actually uh, have a theatrical release for their films and for their TV shows, uh, we're going to... It's going to be a bit before we see this content materialize, but wishing the best of luck. Absolutely. And it's nice to see that an international company like um, like Rakuten is taking taking cues there because it seems like this is the way to go. Um, obviously, it's worked out astoundingly well for Amazon Studios. They are winning Oscars. Yeah. Um, their films are Manchester by the Sea. Great film. Um, one of the standouts of 2016. And there's really only more coming from there. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit last week about Chris Nolan's aversion to the model that Netflix has. But he does appreciate Amazon where they do kind of the... Um, the 90-day release window where it's, it comes out in theaters, they let it do its run in theaters, and then bring it straight to the service. But this idea of original content straight to the straight to streaming, um, and that being the new method, uh, John, you know, you are a purveyor of original film and original ideas. Mm-hmm. Is this maybe the way people need to go to get around the studios and their kind of limited view of how movies can be released? I think it can be. I think Netflix and Hulu have shown you that you can go around studios, you can get stuff done, and you can get quality stuff done without going through studios and red tape and all that. Just mm-hmm. make it and you know film it and air it. That's that's the shortcuts right there. You know, yeah. don't don't give it to the guy that's making thirty five million dollars. <laughs> yeah, or whatever we just talked about. It's yeah. still boggling me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't need. 
I mean, not I shouldn't say we don't. Not everybody needs the corporate right handout, the corporate help. And know. and millions of people use these streaming services. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I use like three streaming. I I I have Netflix, I have Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. I have Hulu, and I have Filmstruck, which is you know for really pretentious idiots like myself. <laughs> uh, I pay ten dollars a month so I can watch the Criterion Collection and feel <laughs> superior to others. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, the, I mean, I I am definitely. Uh, pro going to the movies. I go if I can see a movie in mm-hmm. cinemas um, before you know before it comes to streaming. I want to do that first. That is my first thing. However, you can't see every movie. These streaming giants are giving creative control to you know film producers and film creators and giving them these huge distribution deals akin to what big studios would you know historically have given them. Yeah, but they get to maintain their vision. And uh, it's a it's a great new sort of advent for the for the art form. Absolutely. And the big sick a film that I have not gotten to see in theaters, I would like to see in theaters first is produced by Amazon Studios. So I know that if I can't get into the theater because I'm too busy with work or too busy doing whatever, I can at least see it at some point. And Mm -hmm. I know that um, the people who have made the film. They are being compensated because Amazon pretty much just has all the money in the world to throw around. They bought Whole Foods on a whim. Why not make a few movies? (laughs) Um, Jeff Bezos literally operates the Washington Post as like a side hobby, Mm -hmm. you know. So there's like there's a bright side to this kind of uh, massive corporate entity is that um, on one end they have you know they own everything and uh are in your house listening to you do whatever you do you know cook food and like order things online Mm -hmm. and uh on the other side they're just kind of they have this ability to be one giant patron of Mm -hmm. the arts they're like yeah we don't really like honestly what is it to jeff bezos if the big sick doesn't turn a massive profit he's like i don't really give a shit like he was the richest man in the world for a few hours the other day yeah he he had beat out bill gates for a few hours for a few out wait did bill gates come back yeah so i saw an article and it was out out jeff bezos (laughs) is now the most is now the richest man in the world and then like at like 8 p.m or something bill gates had overtaken him and people were just like for a few hours jeff bezos was on top (laughs) and then it came crashing down came (laughs) crashing down kind of love that yeah would you would you ever uh say i know amazon has like channels like what if they did like what if you did like a cinema obscura channel i would love that not, hey, uh, I hey, would love something like that. Yeah. Not not for me, not but for, for my filmmakers. Absolutely. Yeah. That's this. I'm hopefully a stepping stone to get them in that in that arena. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Come on, go on the show. Mm-hmm. Go on the show. <laughs> we got a pitch for you. I want you to meet my boy John Davies. He's about to blow your melon. He's going to change your life. Nobody's doing on. what he's doing. Nobody. Nobody's doing what he's doing. Nobody. Nobody. All right. Um, finally. I do have to bring this up because this is um, just the the thing of the moment. Um, it's well, a dark light at the end of this tunnel. It's a very yeah. No, usually <laughs> oh, it's it's the other way. Usually you're going from a dark tunnel into the white light. No, we're reaching. Um, 
we're reaching mass capitalism here. Um, <laughs> true capitalism. Critical mass capitalism. Critical mass capitalism. Uh, this week saw the release of the Emoji Movie, a film based on those little symbols that you send to people on your phones to represent a variety of emotions such as happiness, sadness, and sexual confusion. Because <laughs> uh, what better way to <laughs> to communicate your feelings than through homogenized, homogenized <laughs> images, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So they decided uh, Sony, who has not been doing so great financially in the you know in recent years, decided that in order to get out of this hole, they need to make a movie based on emojis, mm. giving us uh, the Emoji Movie starring T.J. Miller, also of Silicon Valley, um, in the artistic role of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, playing the uh, meh emoji. How do you how would you say that meh meh meh? Yeah. But he he plays an emoji that has the uncanny ability to feel multiple emotions at the same time. What's that like? I could not tell you. (laughs) I wish I knew what it meant Mm -mm. uh, to feel emotions. One emotion at a time, please. Yes. Only only one. Um, And as you might expect, it is being critically panned. Uh, It has a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, although 48% of audiences liked it, which All is right. kind of amazing. Yeah. For a movie that's, it's a kid's movie, you know? Yeah. I feel like the, that rating would be higher if the movie was good or if the movie, you know, was like watchable. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe for the kids, for the kids, I'm sure it's completely watchable. Yeah. It's just bright colors. And that's not to say that kids are dumb because I don't believe that. I believe that kids are you know that children have the ability to understand complex emotions and watch things like Hayao Miyazaki's movies and enjoy them just as much uh they don't need to be pandered to and yet here we are with the emoji movie and Patrick Stewart is playing the poop emoji uh and, and the role of his life in the again the role, role of his of the, career yeah the storied career of Patrick Stewart Sir Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. um and I just I kind of wanted to bring up some of the, my favorite uh sort of reviews on this uh i just want to let people know who is in this movie um people like tj miller maya rudolph james corden of late night fame uh anna ferris of scary movie fame jennifer coolidge and uh disappointingly enough stephen wright wow which really which i understand why they picked him because he's got the most bland sounding voice in the world mm-hmm. you're listening to super sounds of the 70s you know mm. uh if y'all remember he was uh the, the radio vo- announcer yeah the radio announcer from uh reservoir dogs mm-hmm. and also a comedian in his own right but um kind of disappointing to see uh all these great people just cashing cashing their checks and being like well we're gonna make a shit ton of mo- money off of this movie and they did say the director of that movie just said the, the studio knows that we're down to get paid globally yeah oh yeah this movie i mean the box office uh the numbers aren't all together yet well, I'm, I, they're they're doing you know rolling reports um but usually i like to wait and see what the finalized numbers are but as far as i know it's doing really well uh as some listeners might know or remember i work in a movie theater and um Tons of people coming, bringing their kids, uh, sneaking in bush light because they can't handle, like, the oppressive <laughs> horror that is the, the emoji movie. That is ridiculous. And they're in their beer of choice is bush light. So yeah, no. They're to di- give you an idea of the oppressive horror yeah. they're dealing with. <laughs> wow. I would have at least given them an ice house because it's just like, if you're going to go for it, you might as well go for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, get like, those ABVs in. So, yeah. Tom, what does this mean for... Uh, I want to say humanity in general, but I feel like it's a little bit more centralized. What does this mean for the United States? 
This emo- for the United the States? emoji movie. Oh, it's not good. John, I think John has a better perspective. He's got the apocalypse forecast. Yeah. Well, I mean, the emoji movie is just a, akin to the end, you know. Pretty sure the same thing that took out the uh, Egyptians with the hieroglyphics movie. <laughs> <laughs> that got them. This is going to get us. We are done for. Yes. Yes. History it is, repeats itself. History repeats itself. And, I mean, the critics are more or less saying the same thing. Um Johnny Oleksinski from the New York Post, very fun writer, very funny writer, said, hear that? It's the end of the world. Uh, Caitlin Tiffany and Lizzie uh, Lizzie Plowjik from The Verge, I don't think I can say anything funny about this because it makes me want to die. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Even the positive reviews are like... It says meh in the positive review. How yeah. is that even? Betsy, well, you know, Betsy Bosdeck from Common Sense Media, the name in Common Sense mm. Media, um, positive <laughs> messages, but colorful, colorful adventure is only meh. And yeah. Patrick Stewart, did they trick you? Yeah. Did they, did they trick you to do this movie? I am so sorry. You've I think done we, voiceover, yeah. voiceover acting before. You're fantastic at it. And... They must have tricked you. I don't know what happened. Maybe he just thought it was going to be fun or something. I don't know. God. Um, And this is uh, a a surprisingly high-minded review from, not not surprisingly, but like RogerEbert.com said, a demonstration of artistic abdication at its most venal. But will the kids like it? That's a... (laughs) bunch of words strung together that make no sense yeah that sounds like the new yorker almost mm-hmm. it's like, exactly the kind of people mm-hmm. who are pissed off about the emoji movie that they, they want to see that yeah so venal and so vapid and mm-hmm. uh, obsequious <laughs> i don't think that's, that's, <laughs> oh my that's a word so it's a word but i don't i don't know if it's yeah if you uh <laughs> if you have watched the emoji movie please go on facebook noco cinema podcast and uh, tell us what you thought. An honest review. Honest, honestly. If in you, emojis. Yeah, in emojis. <laughs> in emojis. But honestly, if you liked it, please tell us because we have not seen it. Um, I don't really want to see it. I'd rather. But if someone says if we just have check, to. if we have to, we'll do it. But if someone could just, if they want, if you want to make a case for the emoji movie about how it's actually like a subversion of you know uh, postmodernist filmmaking and a return to sincerity, I. I'd love to hear it because i need to know i need to know Co- coders can code coders can code. <laughs> all right so uh next up we are going to have a discussion here um about cult movies and cult cinema and that's going to be part of our feature presentation we've got john davies here from cinema obscura sticking around to talk a little cult movies with us and of course connor will uh hopefully return he might go see the emoji movie in the break and then come back but i can't promise anything how do you know i'm on fandango right now i can see things Ooh, ooh. <laughs> we'll be right back here on noco cinema here on wgm plus I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. All right. You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on oh. WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush. 
and uh, we're listening to some clips of listening to the clips of the room. Hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. <laughs> That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, the that was a clip from the room and the previous one as well. Uh, clips from the room, possibly one of the greatest cult films ever made. Uh, in case I didn't get to it, I'm your host Tom Hush, and uh, I am joined by my beautiful co-host Connor Cornelius, who is my best friend, my worst enemy, and uh, everything my, in between. Yeah, everything in between, which involves a lot of different things. If we're being honest, well, thank you, Tom. Um, and today, if you've been listening, uh, we're joined by John Davies. He is the creator, operator, and mastermind behind uh, Cinema Obscura, which is a weekly screening series over at Township. And uh, every week he's showing up the best of Chicago independent cinema, all the cult, indie, fun, weird stuff that's happening in this beautiful city. Thank you so much for coming back, John. Thank you guys for having me again. I really appreciate it. Now, since we have John here, I figured that we needed to talk about one of my favorite topics in movies, which is cult cinema. Um, As many of you know, there is a new film coming out based on a book called The Disaster Artist. And The Disaster Artist is the chronicle of the making of The Room, which is widely considered to be one of the best, worst movies ever made uh the book is written by greg sestero who plays mark in the room and the film version is starring james franco dave franco and uh seth rogan as well the apatow crew exactly the apatow crowd being released by uh currently hot uh production company a24 which has done films such as it comes at night and moonlight uh but they're getting into this weird apatow world uh and they're talking about this cult movie and with that in mind i want to get into a little discussion about cult movies what is a cult film um how does something become a cult film can you just make a movie that is intentionally cult and uh let's go around the board here a little bit john what in your mind is a cult film i think cult film is something that fails at the box office but just explodes with fandom I think that's I think that's what it boils down to really. You know, it just doesn't do well for the for the production company, doesn't do well for the guy that is making 35 million dollars, but the fans love it and mm-hmm. just love it and watch it and memorize it and becomes not only part of your culture but becomes part of you. Mm-hmm. You know, you just become that movie. And is the lack of critical success something that that films following that is it's almost maybe a reason why they like it so much i think it helps i think it helps definitely yeah if you're if you're uh successful in the movie theater i think it'd be very hard to become a cult or a cult status film mm-hmm. that being said there are movies out there that are huge and that do our cult alien franchise star wars franchise sure not as cult as what we're talking about with the room and say night of the comet and the other weird movies that uh, we grew was up it with plan but, nine from outer space yeah. by edwood um i think uh that is an interesting distinction that mm-hmm. i think needs to be brought up and we'll we'll get into that a little bit because um cult 
can be a movie like uh i want to get over here to our facebook um we threw up a post on facebook saying we were talking about cult movies and we asked people can you define for us what is a cult movie and what are some of your favorite cult movies and uh listener caleb he said pretty much what you said john uh upon release it was critically and financially a failure Mm -hmm. too obscure uh but after a while i.e through home release or syndication it finds its audience um which is important and i think that is the most pure idea of what a cult film is but i do like this idea that you can have a big film that is super successful that still is a cult film in the sense that a cult has formed around it Mm -hmm. um i would be inclined to say one of my favorites of that ilk and i'm not sure where it falls uh is mean girls and okay. that is 100% one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. No one can really argue with me on that, I don't think. But um, as far as I know, when I was growing up, it was a fairly popular film. People mm-hmm. liked Mean Girls. It was, um, you know, it had Lindsay Lohan in it. Mm-hmm. You know, people knew what it was and were quoting it all the time. But it has a serious cult of personality around it because like i said people can quote that entire movie through and through and they are obsessed with it yeah yeah so i want to know what are some of your favorite uh movies that would be considered cult films john uh, i mentioned one at the top night of the comet that's one of my favorite all-time sleepover classic movies what is, what is that one about Oh, it's about the end of the world. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, teenagers basically are left with the mess. Uh, actually, they're left with no mess. Everybody's gone but them. It's kind of fantastic. And really? there's zombies in it. There's a dude from Star Trek in it. It's uh, it's it's good. I don't want to give it away. No. Go, go watch it. Go check that one out. But yeah, Night of the Comet, Sleepover Staple. I, I can't. I can't tell you guys. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. Yeah, I, I have not. Uh, touching that to the list. Touching on the Mean Girls, I'd say Heather's. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. a little bit older than you guys, so Heather's was my big, was my Mean Girls it, when I was a kid. similar? Okay, yeah. Yeah, real similar. A, li- a lot darker. It's more of a yeah. dark comedy. Uh, but it's, it's got Christian Slater in it. It's got yeah. um, Winona Ryder. Yep, Winona yes. Ryder. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely one of those cult films. Uh, Connor? Some of your cult films? We've talked about it a bunch before. It's not... I can't really... I don't really want to choose one of his films, but Nicolas Cage is definitely an actor that has amassed (laughs) just a cult-like following around anything that he does. Mm -hmm. I... uh, I think there's a certain it's almost like a religious thing when you're a fan of a cult of any sort of like a cult film scene you know but I will say the only time I've ever done this I paid ten dollars to see Nicolas Cage's movie uh where he's playing the white ghost it's got Hayden Christensen in it uh I can't remember what it's called but I paid ten dollars to see it ahead of its theatrical release or Mm -hmm. whatever and it was bad but I had a great I had a great time like you said it's like a good lame sleepover movie Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I like I I'm trying to think because so much question yeah so much of what we think of when we think of cult movies is that they have to be good bad Mm -hmm. you know so bizarre so out there or just something uh it i think a large part of it has to do with intended effect and then actual effect there's a group out of canada doing just that yeah the astron six group oh yeah they made manborg father's day the editor I think I've heard uh, of Manboy. They are ridiculous. It's trauma-esque. I'm not going to say it's trauma, but it's trauma-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastically ridiculous, 
maybe making movies just to make cult movies. I don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but everything that they've made has been not critically acclaimed. Uh, it doesn't really have a cult following yet, but once people become aware of it, maybe from the show, I don't know. <laughs> um, those guys will be on this list next time we talk about this. That go, I'll give uh, Astron Six. Yeah, Astron Six. They do some really good stuff out of Canada. They're amazing. Now, now, can can someone make a cult film intentionally? Yeah, that's a good question. Because isn't like you said, it's actual versus intended effect. Right. Even if a movie takes itself seriously, for a movie to be a cult movie, you kind of have to be able to laugh at with it, mm-hmm. have fun with it, maybe laugh at it. Maybe. Sure. I think you can. There's movies out there like these guys I'm talking about. There's a movie, Black Dynamite, that came out a few years ago. Okay, right. yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, is, it does have a cult around it. Yeah, I highly doubt that was critically acclaimed. You know, it's it's ridiculously well, stupid, but, you know, we love it. But I think with um, with Black with Black Dynamite and uh, a close cousin of it, um, Undercover Brother, mm-hmm. like, I think those might fall into the category of just, like, like not necessarily they weren't super financially like well received Mm-mm. um critically i think there are big fans of there are people that really love black dynamite mm-hmm. and really love undercover brother especially and um i think those fall into it was maybe they weren't looking to do a cult film maybe they were making a, they were making movies about what were cult movies because mm-hmm. that's like those two are definitely beautiful homages to the uh black exploitation genre yeah. and um if a cult like maybe the cult was already there people who looked at black exploitation and said wait a minute there's True. something here other yeah. than just like you know um guns and mm-hmm. you know and black people being represented in a certain way there's like an empowerment here and there's some people that read it that way some people that don't but um when i think of movies that try really hard to be cult movies i can't help but think of like sharknado like the sharknado mm-hmm. series okay or any a lot of things that sci-fi does yeah. like those really cheap monster flicks i think at at one point they were just like let's just make a monster movie mm-hmm. like but then people started the cult thing kind of came back and people were really into kitsch and um and cheese and sleaze mm-hmm. and so silliness ian zering yeah exactly and so you get sharknado which is at this point trying so hard so hard to be like oh it's so bad it's good mm-hmm. you know? it's on its fifth installment mm-hmm. now yeah global swarming yeah, <laughs> yeah when, when i saw part five i was surprised i last one i saw was three i thought they were done and yeah i didn't know they were just when you think they're, they're done they're not going to be done ever. the shark infested tornado is back yeah and the first one had that level of kitsch Mm-hmm. And had that right kind of mix, and I think it worked. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made another four of them, you know. Uh, but now it's just getting tired, and mm-hmm. it seems like they're trying so hard. And uh, it brings me back: desired effect or intended effect versus actual effect. Mm-hmm. The room, which um, by some is considered to be the cult movie, uh, is supposed to be a drama, like a pretty serious mm-hmm. drama that we've all seen the room, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, love triangle. Yeah, love triangles, cancer, drug dealing. What? And and you've just got these ridiculous performances. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no acting in that movie. It's no. just yeah. lines being read. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fantastic. I'm not knocking it. It's no. great. It's, and it's got the, um, it went the way of Rocky Horror, which is 
um, another cult film, um, and it does the whole midnight the midnight circuit thing. So um, I've never attended a screening of the room, but I've just read articles about the community and the sort of the rights that get carried out at each screening for people that are familiar with it, hmm. and that. It just amazed, like, I really want to go see. I know that they show it at um, the Music Box a couple times, uh, at least a couple times a year. I really want to go make it out to one of those. Especially because usually they're like, Tommy Wiseau might come. Mm-hmm. I think there were a call, there was at least one time where he was scheduled to come, and they're like, no, he's going to be there. I swear to God, he's going to be there. And then he didn't come. Um, I wonder how Damn. he feels about it. In character all the time. Yeah. He, he's so, he, I've, I've seen interviews with him. He thinks that it's a really good movie he still does yeah he does does. Mm -hmm. i've actually also heard rumors that he didn't direct it yeah was it steven spielberg sort of yeah (laughs) yeah, i've actually heard that steven spielberg directed it that makes so much sense he did poltergeist and they did Mm -hmm. the room um i've got a list punch yeah one two punch i've got a good list here and this is a reader's poll in rolling stone for the 25 best cult movies of all time um i'm just going to kind of quickly go through a few of them and uh, please feel free to stop me when we hit something. I mean, right off the bat, number 25 is Army of Darkness. Um, it's huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. huge. And that's a cult where it's like, again, that's not a good, bad movie. That's just a good movie. Yeah. Army of Darkness is exactly what Sam Raimi wanted, more or less. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a horror comedy, and it's just got a good cult around it because people love the Evil Dead series. Much better produced than the first two. It's yeah. visually more appealing. They're not locked in a cabin the whole time. No. Stuff happens. Yeah. And uh, uh, you get great lines like, this is my boomstick. Yeah. It's, it's, fa- <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, the Princess Bride uh, is on here, number 23. That could have not been critically panned. That must. That's like one of the most beloved movies of all time, right? Well, maybe that's something that we need. Not panned, but like it could just been a, it could be lukewarm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. Sure. It's uh, it. I mean, it wasn't, though. It's directed by Rob Reiner. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm going to say this right now. I'm not going to take the time to go look up all the reviews of right. The Princess Bride at the time. Of course, of course. But I think that falls into that, that Mean Girls category of a movie that was well-received at the time and just is so beloved. Like, it has a cult following around it. People who know it line by line, um, you know, bit by bit. And uh, it still is a cult movie to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um I've got one that was actually mentioned on uh, Facebook here by uh, one of our one of our listeners uh, and also one of our guests, Mr. Nate Waters. Mm-hmm. He wanted to chime in for sure, and uh, he said he said the room. He said Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. and uh, then Repo, the genetic opera, oh, which. I'm- what a bizarre movie. I have not seen that one yet. It is. I remember I watched the trailer when I was a kid, when it came out. I was like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And then I watched it. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it was still really cool, though. I enjoyed it. Uh, the Room only comes in at 21. Surprising. Um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which has since become a very successful Broadway production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clerks at number 19. I saw the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Clerks. Yeah, of course. Um, that's a cult just from like being an indie movie, basically. Mm-hmm. It's one of those that just, it got it got a good following. Yeah, low budget, good dialogue, good writing. Absolutely. And Solid it's characters. spawned the career of Kevin Smith, who has mm-hmm. uh, since gone on to do good, both good and bad things mm-hmm. with uh, that newfound fame uh this is this i love this is interesting number 18 blade runner 
Now, obviously, I did not grow up in the 80s. Connor did not grow up in the 80s. John, I assume that you are a timeless being that simply came forth from the void. But uh, <laughs> but Blade Runner. So um, humble about that. That was a huge movie for me growing up. Yeah. Huge. Now, did you see the original theatrical release with the with the like noir voiceover that they forced Harrison Ford to do? I've seen all three yeah. versions of it. I do like the director's cut. It... Uh, it just gives you a little bit more of the story yeah um without i don't know without kind of like glaring over some stuff sure you You prefer uh, it over the other two versions yeah i mean it's it's what his vision was yeah after all once it's all boiled down and that's that's the one i kind of stick to the other ones are great um but you know the director's cut is kind of where it sticks out for me and ridley scott is really one of the people that pioneered the idea of the director's cut Mm -hmm. winding up on home media because of blade runner um some people might not realize and really when i had first heard of blade runner it was only through positive talk Mm -hmm. but at the time blade runner was not a critically successful movie it wasn't even a financially successful movie really um it kind of despite its uh eventual influence that it would have on the cyberpunk genre and just science fiction in general um blade runner was considered not really that big of a deal yeah, people were not ready for that they were not time. ready for mm-hmm. it and especially because of the studio interference mm-hmm. and um meddling with the uh the way things were working with the movie um it seems only right that it would become a cult film especially with the introduction of the director's cut um and that really changed the movie for a lot of people i know that uh it changed the way that it looked in film history and now it is just like this is top 10 best science fiction movies ever made um and where some cult movies might not be as relevant the as you know time goes on blade runner is still an amazing movie to watch i've, I've only ever seen the theatrical version and i i love it but i mean yeah. obviously there's more homework that i gotta be doing on that <laughs> sure. but and it's even even to the point where it's getting a sequel now yeah like what how many how many years later 35 40 years later 40 years it's yeah. 2049 mm-hmm. that's what it's called right mm-hmm. yeah and like so the original blade runner came out in 82 let me check let me check here real quick um yeah it was the early early 1980s uh that it came out so yeah, 1982 about, yeah 1982 so it's it's getting this sequel all these years later from dennis villeneuve uh the the hottest director right now arguably uh one of the certainly most, for sci-fi certainly mm-hmm. for sci-fi one of the most visually arresting um you know he's a of anybody he's going to be the one who's going to give blade runner it's a due sequel cinematographer roger deakins um very well known for his unique visual style and incredible visuals so it just goes to show that a movie can be poorly received and become like this critical classic a cult movie does not need to be this good bad sort of thing it can just be good um same goes for i'm going to speed through some of these fight club big cult movie interestingly enough blues brothers I don't know if I would call that a cult. I thought it was, I wouldn't know, but as far as I know, it was. It does uh, have a huge following. I highly doubt that did well in the theaters coming out. Yeah. A, mu- a musical based out of Chicago in the 70s. Yeah. It's like an <laughs> SNL skit. Yeah. It was basically, yeah. yeah. Um, the Warriors, which is a great movie. Walter oh, yeah. Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that one that one is really that is uh primer on cult cinema like yeah. you need to watch the warriors by yeah. walter hill Absolutely. pretty much anything by walter hill mm-hmm. you need to watch mm-hmm. um dazed and confused was not super well received that's when, surprising yeah that's surprising. it was it was it was middling mm-hmm. um but it, it's one of those word of mouth movies i love dazed and confused mm-hmm. i think it's easily one of the best movies of uh of the 1990s yeah um Agreed. Repo Man, not to be confused with Repo the Genetic Opera, uh, starring Emilio Estevez, Eraserhead, uh, David Lynch, mm-hmm. Donnie Darko, which was kind of my first introduction to cult cinema mm-hmm. of just like, oh, what is this? Like, it's got Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a big star. Why wasn't this big? Mm-hmm. Well, because it's weird as shit. It's um, really crazy. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And it came out at a bad time. Yeah. Too. The, again, the world you said... Uh, the world was not ready no. for, for Donnie Darko mm-hmm. as much as it wasn't ready for Blade Runner. Uh, Phantom of the Paradise by Brian De Palma. Oh, so good. A rock and roll version of Phantom of the Opera. So <laughs> Check good. it out. Uh, the original Evil Dead in 1981. Uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Harold and Maude. Definitely mm-hmm. a cult film. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorites of all time. Harold and Maude. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, shout out to uh, Hal Ashby. Uh, Hollywood did you dirty, Hal. Mm-hmm. God bless you. Hollywood really did you dirty. Um, Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick. Pulp Fiction is popular. Uh, this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> now three really good movies. Right yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> it's just getting getting better and better. Uh, Big Lebowski, which I would say has truly the biggest cult mm-hmm. of all cult movies, like to the point where there is Lebowski Fest. Yeah, that is a real thing that you can attend and go to. How many uh, times have you guys seen that movie, The Big Lebowski? Oh my god, like fifty times. A, yeah, a bunch. Yeah. yeah, a bunch. And I still laugh. Every time Walter Sobchak is on screen, I'm in. I'm just in love. Like it's, oh yeah, it's so fun. Yeah, it's. <laughs> it just it just blows my mind that it was poorly received when it first came out. Not poorly received, but people were just like, "Huh?" Yeah. Like the Coen Brothers, who had just made Fargo, mm-hmm. went and made arguably a, a stoner comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is like, and it's so wacky. And, um, well, I think uh, Connor and I have talked about this a few times, that the Coen brothers have only ever made, what was it, one type of movie, just in a multitude of different ways, which is an interesting way to look at it, because it's more or less true. I think Mm -hmm. that it's something that you could defend. And I've gotten personally assault, like, attacked, (laughs) verbally attacked. Okay, not physically assaulted. Not physically assaulted on the streets, but I've been... uh, I've been ganged up on by several people when I would, you know, I would share that opinion and they just, you know, like Cohen fanboys, they just are, they refuse to see that every movie they've ever made is basically the same movie, Mm -hmm. but that is not a knock against it. No, not at all. It's brilliant. It's, it's how name one person that could do that. Yeah. Realistically, look at Fargo and look at the Big Lebowski from a from just like nuts and bolts perspective, and tell me how different they really are. That's true. Other than the tone and the characters, yeah, because that's what the Coens do. They are great at characters, and they are great at doing these crazy plots that can go super dark or super comedic. Yeah, like imagine I like. Imagine No Country for Old Men as a comedy. Like, I mean, it's, you could, you probably could do it. You got it. the suitcase of money. You got the ordinary people that are making bad decisions, getting caught up in all this it's violence. It's raising Arizona. And, yeah. It's raising Arizona. 
Seriously, it's incredible. Nick, it, like somebody, if somebody said to me, "Oh, what if you made No Country for Old Men, but with Nick Cage?" It's called we did we made that. It's called Raising Arizona. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then number one on this list is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which may rival. I mean, maybe you could interchange Big Lebowski and Rocky Horror, but I feel like when a lot of people think of cult cinema, we're talking about Rocky Horror. Yeah. We're talking about people literally performing the movie on stage in front of the screen putting the v's on people who are seeing it for the first time throwing uh toast Mm -hmm. at the screen it is the ultimate it is the paragon the um sort of platonic ideal of cult audience participation and that movie sucks like if you look at rocky horror picture show and not think of it as it's fun it's fun it's fun but it falls apart in the third act like, <laughs> like you gotta I, admit that john y- you kill meatloaf things bad things happen yeah no seriously though like that's the point john that's like when you get to when they kill meatloaf when, when he does like uh hop duty bless my soul he does the song and then they kill him with a pickaxe the movie just <laughs> it careens it careens off a off a cliff but it is so much fun to go to a rocky horror screening yeah. i feel like it's kind of um not the same sort of devotion that people had to it back in the day because more cult movies are coming mm-hmm. to take its place uh but i think the rocky horror picture show will always hold a special place in the world of cinema for Absolutely. being truly bizarre mm-hmm. and uh a, a wonderful experiment and as far as filmmaking. cult status i don't see anybody overtaking that film no. there's no there's just no way yeah because even if it's just like oh but the room i'm like yeah, yeah. but rocky horror yeah i mean they'll try with movies like repo yeah you know and repo basically is goofy, a, yeah. you know people will try but they won't they won't top right they won't and, and they for won't as many people everybody likes to go to the movie theater and have a good film going experience you know where maybe a crowd will laugh or whatever but if you have not done the rocky horror a rocky horror screening you have absolutely no idea how much of a sense of community you can mm-hmm. get from mm-hmm. from a movie that yeah. came out even though it came out whatever it was 30 years ago it came out like 74 40 years ago almost yeah past 40 years over 40 years ago um just want to pull up a few suggestions from people here on facebook uh thank you so much again listeners for coming on facebook and giving us some suggestions for films um Ben from St. Louis uh, suggested Wet Hot American Summer. Love so it. true. Love it. I love that movie deeply. It's too uh, good. Yeah. And again, audience wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Those people all, pretty much everybody there went on to be a star mm-hmm. in some respect. Mm-hmm. Even people that aren't so big right, you know, anymore, like Janine Garofalo. She had a massive career, though. She yeah. did a lot of she great stuff. She was huge at the time. Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Um, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Bradley cooper that that sex scene is one of the most deeply passionate things uh-huh. i've ever seen between him and michael ian black one of the most real and people weren't ready oh people no were they not, were not it ready. freaked out a lot of people yeah they could not watch that representation that accurate of a representation mm-hmm. of gay sex mm-hmm. uh so shout out to wet hot american summer uh, i mean i guess you could say it was played for laughs 
which in a sense, you know, you could can be a argue problematic. Yeah, it could maybe. be a little problematic, but at the same time, the it's there. They yeah. did it. They said, "No, these two characters are are gay and they're going to have sex with each other in mm-hmm. this cabin and then they're going to get married." Yeah. So, whether or not it was played for laughs, I think there was something deeply sincere well, about David Wayne yeah. uh, actually doing it. Um again, he also suggested Big Lebowski the room, uh Napoleon Dynamite. That's um mm-hmm. that's a good cult mm-hmm. film. I know I love that so much when it came out. That was like 0405. Mm-hmm. Um that changed my life a lot. Um I've got a couple people and they they're good they're good friends, good listeners of the show. Um Caleb who I mentioned earlier, uh hopefully you might you might know some of these cuz he goes deep on film knowledge, nice, Caleb. Nice. Uh Mystics in Bali. Love it. <laughs> oh my god, that movie is crazy. Uh Burial Ground, Knights of Terror. And uh, thriller, they call her One Eye, but miss it. What's Mystics in Bali? That it, it's insane. I can't describe <laughs> anything because it's all X or R rated. Yeah. Oh, really? Watch okay. it. Have your mind blown, and then come back to me with big bug eyes and tell me what you thought. <laughs> it's okay. Crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, Vampires Kiss. And that one's coming from Therese. More Nick Cage, uh, more Nick Cage. Dude, Vampire's Always. Kiss. He's a, he's a madman. Oh, yep. my God. Especially in Vampire's man. Kiss. A, B, C, D, E, F. Like, he's insane. Whose idea was that? <laughs> whose idea was that? Mm. Um, Reanimator. So, I love Reanimator. Mm. I'm so glad I took the time to watch that. Goofy HP Lovecraft. Are you kidding me? Come oh, on. yeah. Great. Um, Brandon uh, said, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Would it, would you consider that a cult one? Because I mean, it's Werner Herzog. I feel pretty I, much everything he makes can be considered there, cult. I would think because there it, is a cult around him. There's a cult around that guy. Yeah, yeah around uh-huh. Werner Herzog. Uh-huh. Um, and then Lise from Lise FM said uh, Rocky Horror, yeah. big into Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. And then Mike as well, uh, Fight Club, Fight Club. So thank you so much, guys, for uh, commenting on that post. Um, love. I, I've seen a lot of these uh, and. M, a good friend of ours, M, uh, who has had a lot of music featured on the show, said Clue. Uh, yeah. Clue has a decent I'd cult around yeah, it. for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Pootie Tang. Oh, God. Louis yes. C.K.'s yes. debut? Yeah, yeah, directorial debut. Yeah. Pootie Tang. We need a sequel. Come it, on. Come on, Louis. Yeah. We need a sequel. <laughs> I would not be shocked. Pootie no, Tang I would not meets Black Dynamite. We need that to happen. Honestly. Honestly. <clears throat> All right. So, cult cinema. There it is. Um... We're going to be taught. I mean, if you guys have any more cult films that you need to make us aware of, please hit us up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's facebook.com slash no cinema podcast. Send us your favorite cult films and we want to we want to see them. We want to talk about them. They're fantastic. Um, quickly, before we get out of here, John, can you give us a preview of what's coming up this Monday? Which if you're listening to this episode right now, that's today. That's uh, the day this episode is released Monday. Um what is coming up? On Monday, we've got a uh, short film, Faster, and a uh, feature-length film, The Alley Cat, both from Marie Alg- Ulrich. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Marie. Uh, really looking forward to them. Uh, Bicycle-related. Pretty awesome. We've got trailers up on the uh, Facebook page. You want to come check them out? Come check them out. It's always a free show at Township here in Chicago. Uh, always a good time there every week excellent and um you can find them on facebook just search cinema obscura that's cinema with an s Mm. for For sin sin for sex (laughs) cinema obscura for sex every every single s word (laughs) yeah for 
sinuses, you anything <laughs> you could think of with an S in it. That's Cinema Obscura with an S. Again, that is every Monday. Uh, you can find that full schedule up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, follow John on Instagram. Please. He's got a great Instagram. There are so many great. You throw out some of the uh, funniest Instagram posts I I've seen. To. If it amuses me, I hope it amuses you. And that's oh, the only, only reason I throw it out there. Cinema Obscura on yeah. Instagram. Cinema with an S. Cinema definitely succeeding. S. To use another S word. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely succeeding. Oh, that's a good one. Um, like so that, that has been No Co Cinema for this week. A big thank you to John. A big thank you to Connor. Uh, we will be back again next week to discuss so much film there's so many films to watch listen Um, there's a lot of film there's a lot of film and you got to watch it all Mm -hmm. yes uh we're actually going to be talking with the folks from very cool videos i'm going to be talking a little bit about their work so if you want to get a little bit of a taste of them head on over search very cool videos on i believe very cool videos.com um watch some of their stuff get familiar and then we're going to be talking to them next week this has been noco cinema on wgm plus we are your guide to cinema here in the city of chicago and all around the world good morning good afternoon and good night i